sold. 
almost have to jump to sing that high note. Amen. All right, let's pray before we sing another song. Father, thank you, Lord, for all that are able to come out this morning to worship yes. you. And I pray, Lord, that you would meet our needs, Lord. Uh, help with the message, Lord. Help us, Lord, to be paying attention. Help us, Lord, to open our hearts. And help us, Lord, to learn something from your word, Lord, this morning. Uh, meet the needs that are there, Lord. And we do have unspoken words we mentioned in man's prayer this morning. We have praises, Lord, and we thank you, Lord, for how you uh, do things in our lives, Lord, and uh, and provide uh, the needs that we have, Lord. And we'll thank you, Lord, again. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, let's sing 402. 402. Yeah. 
262. Trust in Jesus. Sunday School is Odell Mechanical Trades Pocket Manual. This is a $20 book. You can buy the bookstore or online, Amazon, so on. <coughs> this book has all the answers to anything mechanical, anything to the trades. And this was given to me by my brother-in-law in Michigan two years ago. And I've hardly looked at this thing, but it talks about the basic toolbox, what is involved in the basic toolbox, what kind of tools you need to have. It goes into things I've never heard about, to be truthful. Uh, there are some things in here that's way above me. But uh, if anybody's in a trade, this is the book to use to go to. This is a manual that you need to have. And so I, I bring that up to let you know that there's a manual that we all have too. There's a manual to have for every aspect of life. What is that manual? Just to save time. Just to save time, all right? And so if you want to get some advice about 
not mechanical things, but about spiritual things, moral things, this from the Bible. Uh, it seems like our theme today for singing has been trusting, and as you know, Francis picks up the song, as the Lord leads him, I never tell him what to sing, what to lead in songs, he just does that. And sometimes uh, it's really good, sometimes it's not so good. Most of the time it's good. <laughs> because I don't know the songs. <laughs> but uh, trusting, um, I was talking to somebody, actually secondhand, this person is on the mainland, very discouraged because things aren't working out in a particular matter. And so uh, that reminded me that that person doing the right thing, that person just needs to continue the right thing and continue to trust God as a Christian for the outcome. Uh, there's a man in history, he's no longer uh, playing actively in the major leagues. He's a famous baseball player in the Hall of Fame. When he came up from the minor leagues to play baseball, he was touted as a great player, but he did not start very great. The first 21 times at bat, if you know anything about baseball, the first 21 times at bat means you batted four times at least in so many games. So 4 to 21 is about five. Five games, he got no hits. 0 for 4, at least for the first five games. All the pressure on him to perform to be a star, he was not a star at all. And so he sat one day in the dugout, very dejected. He told his manager, he says, I can't do this. He says, I can't live up to the hype. I'm a failure. I cannot play this game. You know what his manager said? The manager stood to him a very smart thing, very good advice. Casey Stengel told this guy, he says, well, tomorrow's another game. Swing the bat tomorrow. But I can't, coach, I can't. Just swing the bat tomorrow. The next day he got his first hit. And he got his first home run several days afterwards. He ended up his career with over 600 career home runs in the major leagues. He's in the Hall of Fame. He's still living. The lesson for that is he just kept on swinging, even though he failed 21 times. This person on top on the mainland has failed in some things. Not wrong because they're doing good things, but so far has not produced a cold hit. That person is very discouraged. So the songs today, friends, I want you to know that person should have been here to hear those songs, to remind that person to be faithful and put your confidence in the Lord. All right, let's go to the book of uh, Ephesians this morning to begin. The book of Ephesians. I'll have you read with me several passages of Scripture, as it should be in the Bible, in a Bible-believing church. Uh, music is not our emphasis. Uh, entertainment is not our emphasis. The Bible is our emphasis. We should make that the important book when we have services and to see what God says, to learn, to remember, uh, to be spoken to in our heads and in our hearts. So there is an evil that has been going around in the Christian church and outside of the Christian church for many decades. And uh, there are many evil false teachings around. I'm not going to expose all kinds of false teachings today because over the course of the year, you are exposed to many things that you should know about what's right, what's wrong in far as teachings go. And if you belong to a church that teaches the truth, we will always hit some things along the way in 12 months, some things that are contemporary things that are problems. I just want to point out one thing today that's been going on. It doesn't go on in our church, and it'll never go on in our church. It should not go on in our church, this false teaching. But it goes on in many places, it's become very popular. There has been a revival of this false teaching. Now some false teachings are very obvious. You have witnesses. You know that there are false teachers, right? You know that. Say amen if you know that. Amen. 
say, I didn't know that if you didn't know that. It's okay if you didn't know that. But they're false teachers. Mormons are false teachers. Amen. When it comes to the Bible, they're false teachers. Now, they may be nice people. All of them may be decent people. We simply look at the teaching of that group, of that religion. False teaching, not according to the Bible. Then you also have the Roman Catholic Church. Now, what? Yeah, Roman Catholic Church? Are they false teachers? Well, look at what they teach. It's not biblical. Look at the Seventh-day Adventist. Do you have to worship God on Saturday to be saved? If you don't worship God on Saturday, do you get the mark of the beast? That's false teaching. And what about the Church of Christ? Church of Christ, not so well known, not so big, but they believe in water baptism for personal salvation. Well, that's a false teaching. That is a heretic heretical teaching. That's not true. You're not saved by getting water baptized. So that's been going on for many years, many decades. And there's many more that we could mention but we will not. So the teaching today that I want to address and show you from the Bible that it's not true is this teaching that you are predestined to be saved from eternity. Or you're predestined to be lost from eternity. So in both accounts, on both cases, you will be you are lost or you are saved because God so decreed that in eternity. Before you're ever born, you're born to be lost in your life. You will never go to heaven. You're going to go to hell. That's predetermined. Or you are saved no matter what you do. You are going to be saved no matter what. Predestination, election, all of that stuff. It is not a Bible teaching. And let's go to Ephesians chapter 1. I want to show you today that there is a choice you can make. There's a choice you can make to be saved. You're not locked in. It's not a fixed deal. It's not a done deal. It's not already fixed that you be saved or you be continue lost and go to hell. You can do something about both counts. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number 3. Verse number 3. So you're going to have to find Ephesians chapter 1 in your Bible or in your phone or something on your app. And come to verse number 3. And follow along. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accept in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of all the fullness of time he might gather together in one all things in Christ both which are in heaven and which are on earth even in him in whom we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things with the counsel of his own will that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ verse 13 in whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Now, in these verses, especially 
verse number five, you have the word predestinated. In verse number uh, 11, you have the word predestinated. Some teach that you have been chosen in God before everything, before you're ever born, before you ever conceived that you're going to be saved or maybe not saved. Now, we have the answer to this chapter right here. Something has to happen before you get saved. Something has to happen before you get saved. Now, it is for sure that you're born a sinner. That is clear. It is for sure that you're born in sin. That Romans 5.12 is sure. It is clear. You have been given the nature of Adam. You have been born a sinner. All babies are born sinners. Everyone is born a sinner. There's no exception to that. Now, there's one thing to understand is that though we're all born sinners, you have to come to a place in your life where you understand where you can choose to receive Christ or not. You have to believe to be saved. Until you come to that place, you are safe. If a baby, we talked about this not long ago, right, Mike? About six months ago. That's not long ago. About babies. Babies, babies born are born sinners. But if a baby tragically dies before they can understand the gospel, before they can believe, they are safe. They're going to go to heaven. Which, if you think about this, it's very strange. Aborted babies, babies that are killed, taken out from the mother's womb, that's a soul. You know where that soul goes? That soul goes to be with Christ. Because that baby, a child, has to be able to believe. And so until you can believe, you're going to be okay, you're safe. You're not going to go to hell. All right, now, having said that, everyone who is born a sinner, they're not saved until something happens. They're not saved until something happens. Look at verse number 13, 113. In whom ye also trusted. Okay, so something has to happen with the sinner before he is saved. There's no automatic here. You are a sinner. We all are, no exception. But then if you trust in Christ, you trust in Christ. That's the difference. Look at verse 13 again. In whom you also trusted after you heard, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. So you hear the gospel. You hear the gospel. Someone tells you the gospel. You read the gospel. You see the gospel. You're exposed to the gospel. You understand the gospel and you say, yes, I want to be saved. And then it says you trusted. So the, the sequence is you heard the gospel and you trusted the gospel of your salvation. So salvation comes, personal salvation comes when you have heard the gospel and you received, you believed, you received Christ. You believe what the gospel is. You first trusted in Christ. And so the sinner is saved because he has trusted in Christ. Before then, he's not saved. Before then, he's still a sinner. After you're saved, you're still a sinner, but you're a saved sinner. So the point is, you're not destined to be saved without your choice. You're not destined to be lost for eternity. Something can have to change that destination is what you try to understand here. So after you heard the gospel, after you understood the gospel, then you believed on Christ, then you are sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. So once a person has received Christ after they heard the gospel, could have been many times, more than one time, usually, for you to digest the gospel. And you and you get it. And when you get it, you say, I want to be saved. And God knows you're, and you receive Christ as your Savior, then you're saved by the Holy Spirit for eternity. 
So you never lose what God gives you, what He seals you with the Holy Spirit. He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. You are one of His as if you belong to Him eternally because you do. And so in Rome, in first, uh, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 13, once again, it says, In whom you also trusted after, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. That's personal salvation. Personal salvation is yours when you heard the gospel, you received Christ, then you're saved. So you're saved at a certain point in your life, you heard the gospel. At a certain point in your life, you believed it and you received Christ, the free gift of God. That's when you got saved. Once again, you could have heard the gospel several times before you believed it. It's at that point when you got saved. Who knows when that is? Well, God knows and you know, probably, when you got saved. So it's rare that you hear the gospel for the first time and then you get saved. It's rare. It's done often. Usually, it's been preceded by several times of hearing portions of it or part of it or someone talked to you more than one time and then it finally dawned it finally sinks in and then you got saved that was me and that's probably many of you and so the idea here the truth here is that you're not predestined to be saved without a choice you're not predestined to be lost you can change that direction change the destination romans 1 15 come over there with me romans chapter 1 i want you to see that from the bible you're not fixed in either direction. You have a choice that you can make. Romans 1.15 Here's what Paul says in this great letter that he wrote. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. Question. Why would Paul be so anxious to preach the gospel in Rome, in pagan Rome, if the pagans in Rome were predestined already to be pagans? Why would he bother to make an effort to go there and preach the gospel if they're locked in, if they're fixed already? He apparently thought that they're not locked in and fixed, that there's a possibility they could repent and turn to Christ. So he says, I'm ready to go to Rome and preach the gospel, verse 16. For I am not ashamed, verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. That's a good verse right there, isn't it? I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Well, wait a minute now. If it is true that you are fixed already to be saved or not saved, why is Paul here making an effort to go with the gospel to Rome? If there's no possibility of people changing their minds. Well, he says, for it is, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. So apparently, when someone hears the gospel and they embrace the gospel or when they receive Christ, they can be saved. They can have personal salvation. Why even say things like this if it is not possible? It's because it is possible. It is possible for someone to get saved who was lost for their whole life. It is possible to get saved on a deathbed. It is possible to be saved as a youth. It's possible to be, it's possible to be saved after being lost for so many years. It is not so common, but it is possible. Usually people get saved when they're young, when they're not so hooked on certain things. And people who live a long time, something good happens to them. They look back, they realize a lot of things when they grow older. They have a lot of regrets when they grow older. 
A lot of people grow older and live longer. They look back and say, oh, what if, or I should have, or I could have. What if, and they question themselves a lot of times. And they wonder about things a lot of times. And during those periods of time, if they hear the gospel several times, they begin to think about that too. And they begin to forget about all the excuses they gave when they were younger. Because now they've lived so much longer, they look back and they see regrets and so on. And there's a possibility for older people to get saved at an older age. Well, whatever the time a person gets saved, he can be saved when he hears the gospel. And Paul says, I'm going to go to Rome and preach the gospel because there's a chance that some people might get saved. Well, that tells me a lot. It tells me that the truth or the concept of the notion about you're predestined to be saved or lost without a decision on your part. No, Paul didn't teach that. He didn't believe that. He believed in evangelism. He believed in giving the gospel to everyone because there's a chance for people to come to Christ. Verse 16, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. To everyone that, next word is very important, the power of God unto salvation, personal salvation, to everyone that does something. Everyone that believe it. That's why I said babies cannot, babies, they're too young to believe. How can they choose to reject Christ or receive Christ? They're too small. They have to come to a certain age where they understand these matters. Then they're accountable for their own sin. Well, he says everyone that believes. And he also specifies what kind of people, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. In other words, everybody. Is it not a good thing to know that God can save anybody and everybody Amen. in every kind of place in this world and in every spiritual condition? No matter who we are, God can save. Uh, you talk about being fair. You talk about being generous and gracious. Everyone can be saved that hears the gospel and believes the gospel. How can anybody say, no, you can never be saved even if you wanted to? That's a lie to say, you may have a desire to come to Christ and go to heaven and be saved, but that's not possible because God's predetermined that you will never be saved. That's a lie. That's a false teaching. Romans 1.16 I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. So therefore you must believe in Christ before you can be saved. You cannot say that I'm a Christian just because you believe intellectually that he died for your sins. You must believe on him. That means you trusting in him to be your savior. It's a personal commitment to him. Personally, I don't trust myself. I don't trust my good works, my goodness. I don't trust my morality. I'm trusting in Christ's finished work, and that will save you. And so you're not saved until you believe on Christ. The unsaved is still unsaved until they believe on Christ. Religious people are not saved until they believe on Christ. Do you know that Mother Teresa, Mother Teresa, everybody seems to know who Mother Teresa was. She's famous for her sacrificing of her life to serve the poor in Calcutta, India. You know about by her own testimony, she was unsure of her eternal destination. She was not sure of where she is in Christ. She is very sour, very bitter, very angry, very, very much uh, uh, not sure of anything that you should be sure of you were saved. So it's not by doing good things. It is by believing in Christ is what Paul says here. Romans chapter 3. Uh, I'm sorry, what, verse 17. Romans 1.17. Then we'll go to chapter 3. 117. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now, that is a twofold statement. 
But just shall live by faith. As a Christian, you live by faith. You walk by faith, not by sight. But as a as one who is saved, you are saved because you are justified. You're justified because you put your faith in Christ. It's by faith. It's by faith. You have been stripped of any praise because no works are attached to your salvation. It is just by trusting. It's by believing in Christ who died for you. Now let's go to Romans chapter 3, verse number 22. First of salvation, you're not locked in because it was predetermined. You have no say in the matter. You're not going to go to hell because you have no say in the matter. Both can be changed. Verse 22. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that do something. What do you do to be in Christ? Believe. That's what he said in chapter 1. Believe. So if you believe on Christ, that is when you become a Christian. That's when you get saved. When you believe by faith. So you're saved not from eternity. Without your say-so on earth. You're saved because on earth you made a choice to be saved. That is not the glory in man or in his flesh. That's to say, I heard the gospel. I processed the gospel. Emotionally, I was moved to do something with the truth that I heard, and I choose to receive Christ, and that's when I got saved. You believed. Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. Verses 8, 9, and 10. The false teaching that you are saved from eternity without any say-so on your part is not true. The truth is you are saved when you do something with the truth. Romans 10 verse number 8. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is, the word of faith which we preach, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe. That's the third time we saw that word. And shalt believe in thine heart, that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart, verse 10, with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confesseth faith unto salvation. Verse 11, For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Now you have the emphasis on believing in your heart for personal salvation. And so this is to say, you had a choice in the matter. You don't glory in that choice, but you had a choice. You had a choice to make by what you were given. You got given the gospel. You said, oh boy, I need to be saved. Oh boy, how can I get saved? Oh, I want to receive Christ. I want to trust in him. I can't save myself. I'm trusting Christ to save me. Lord, save me. Please save me. It's at that point when you got saved, you were not saved in eternity. You got saved on earth and you made a choice in response to the gospel. Believing in your heart, personal salvation. Now, in verse number 13, once again, you see in Romans 10, a great offer to everyone, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Wait a minute, I thought everybody was saved in eternity or everybody was lost from eternity. I thought nobody had a matter, 
a choice does matter. But he says, whosoever believeth, whosoever shall call. Whosoever shall call. Doggone it. That sounds like I can do something about this. You know what that means? Whosoever shall call. That means if I hear the gospel, that means if I respond to the gospel, if I ask the Lord to save me, I shall be saved. I have just altered my destination. I'm on my way to an eternal hell because I'm a sinner, I'm lost. But I heard the gospel, I received Christ, and then that changed my direction. Wow! Wow! What a difference that made because I heard the gospel and I believed the gospel and I received Christ. Now it has changed my eternal destination. So I was once going down, I was once going here, but I heard the gospel here, I believed it, and now I'm going to go here. And that's what he's talking about. And that's what he's saying. And that's what I'm emphasizing. I'm emphasizing that you are saved because you heard the gospel and you believed on Christ and you got saved. So whenever you got saved is whenever you got saved. You ought to have a date when you can say, this is when I got saved. This is when I believed. Now, you may not remember all the details, but I remember when I got married, it was a big event. Do you know when you get married, it's, 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 it's your death when you get married? You know why men wear black when they get married? Death symbolizes, black symbolizes death. Now, you, you might be thinking, oh, that's, that's not a joke. It's not a joke. It is death when you get married and the, and the groom dresses in black. It's symbolic, the color black. He's saying, I'm dying to my single life. I'm dying to my chasing girls. I'm dying to my divided heart. I'm dying to being a bachelor. I'm now a man. I'm now a responsible man. I now have a new allegiance. I now have a new devotion. See, that's what black is all about. It is really symbolic. So it's not a joke. When a man gets married, he doesn't act like a bachelor anymore. He doesn't act like a sin guy anymore. He doesn't stay out playing uh, basketball to midnight with his friends anymore. He's got to take care of his wife. He's got to be around for uh, a lot of responsibilities. It's all different now. Okay? So there is a devotion that is very unique and very special and very needed nowadays. But the great offer, verse 13, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What a great invitation and offer that is to everybody. Do you know that is still true today? Do you know that offer is still true today? After all of these centuries, it's still true today? Do you know that people today still can be saved when they hear the gospel? They still can respond to it? They still can? Now, if you believe that that is true, then of course you should do what you should do as a Christian. Invite people to come to Christ because they still can be saved. Romans 10, 13 tells us that. But why do that if people are elected from eternity to be lost and they cannot change that status? Well, it's because it's not true. Well, come to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. Chapter 17 of Acts. Come to verse 16. Paul is in a place called Mars Hill. That's my phone. Turn your phones down. 
Acts chapter 17, verse number 16. Now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Now the Acropolis, where he is, on the Acropolis, there's a road on a flat part of that hill, and there's a road on each side of that road are six temples apiece. There's 12 temples there, and in the middle of the end of that road is the 13th temple. In each of these 12 temples are 12 different gods housed in these temples. Paul sees all these things, and then there's a chief god some, of some sort on the 13th temple. And Paul is there, he sees all the idolatry in the city. The Bible says here, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Now, the wholly given to idolatry, he's describing, Luke is describing what he saw. The temples full of idols, the people, the marketplace where these people got and, and paid for their sacrifice, take up to their gods of choice. You heard of, uh, go to the religion, the church of your choice. They went to the temple of their choice to give their offering to the marketplace. Paul sees all this idolatry and his heart was stirred. Now I have a question for you. Here's my question to you as thinking people. Why was his heart stirred when he saw people given to idolatry big time? Why was he even stirred? If the people were into their idolatry because it's predetermined already, why should he even be stirred? Why should he be bothered by that? He shouldn't be bothered at all. He, he should just say, well, look at that. Man, this whole says given to idolatry. This is predestined. This is how God planned it to be. This is how this is supposed to be. That's cool. That's cool. He should have said that if he believed in this. But that's not what he said. He says, when I saw, he says, I was stirred up. He was whipped up to a frenzy because he saw them wholly given to idolatry. Well, he didn't say that they were predestined to be idols. It bothered him. A word that could describe this predestination stuff is fatalism. Have you ever said, ah, it was meant to be? Have you ever thought that or said that or someone say, oh, it meant to be? Oh, that tragedy was meant to be. Oh, that was meant to be. That was meant to be. It's going to happen because it's meant to be. Okay, sarah, sarah, it's meant to be. Well, that's kind of like predestination, meant to be. Paul didn't think that way because he was stirred in his heart. He was all fired up when he saw the people bowing down and sacrificing all these idols. He was really troubled by this. And it's because he knew that something possibly could be done. And so look what happens here. Verse number 17. Therefore, the therefore is there because of verse number 16. When he saw the city given holy to idolatry, therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons in the market daily with them that met with him. What he saw bothered him so much it caused him to take action. It compelled him to do something about what he saw. He did not say for the 15th time, he did not say they're locked in, they're fixed like this until they die. That's too bad, that's how it is. What's the use of even telling them about the true God? What's the use of that? It's a waste of time. I'll just enjoy this vacation. That's what he said. No, he didn't say that. He said, there's a chance I can reach them. There's a chance I can reason with them. 
there's a chance they can be saved. And that's why he was bothered. And that's why verse 17 took place. That's why he made an effort. He disputed with them. He wanted to reason with them. He wanted to argue with them in a, in a courtroom fashion. He wanted to convince them that there is a true God and so on. He said that. He felt that. He did that because he believed they were not locked in. They were not fixed to a destination without them having a choice to alter that destination. He was stirred up. He was agitated. His mood. When he saw the city wholly given to adultery. Another word for wholly given would be the word that we're familiar with. Addiction. Addiction. Addict. You ever see somebody addicted? Usually it's to an uh, illegal substance. They're addicted. You ever see someone addicted? You ever know people who are addicted? Two, two illustrations. One. One is kind of not so serious, but it's graphic about someone addicted. You ever see this impersonators? Impersonators of personalities? How about this one? Elvis impersonators. You ever see these guys? There's one in Honolulu. He's hanging around Alma shopping mall all the time. Rides the city bus. He's got the chops of Elvis, the hair of Elvis, the coat of Elvis. He looks like Elvis, a little bit fatter than Elvis. Well, maybe Elvis was fatter in the latter years, but this guy, he's an Elvis impersonator. There's many Elvis impersonators. Uh, Priscilla Presley, she has a favorite Elvis impersonator because he must be really good. There's a guy who was in one of these programs where, you know, the uh, America's Got Talent or Britain's Got Talent. There's a guy that I saw. Now you say, well, why do you watch all these things? I like to see what's going on. This guy comes up, big screen. I look at that. Now, Elvis is, you know, my generation, right? So I'm familiar with what he looks like, what he sounds like. This guy comes up. I look at him. I'm thinking, good night. The resurrection is true. There is a resurrection. This guy looks just like Elvis. The complexion, the makeup, the hair, the eyes. <laughs> it's just like Elvis. And when he begins to sing, they're blown away because they're so... Now here's what I learned about that. Now I do have a point for all of this. He did not become a great Elvis impersonator just by thinking about it. But he became a great Elvis impersonator or any impersonator of anybody because there's many, 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 many hundreds and thousands of hours of mimicking the videos, the way you say the words, your gestures, thousands of hours of rehearsals and practicing. And then you get on the stage and you have to endure the mockery and the booze being booed off the stage until you become a success. All of that body of effort to become a great impersonator, you know what that tells me? That guy's addicted. He's addicted. He's wholly given to becoming an Elvis impersonator. You know, there's another impersonator of a female star back a long time with Black and White Days. Uh, the girl, the, the female star, uh, overdosed on drugs. And one of the female impersonators, her name is Kay. Go look it up sometime. I haven't looked this up for many years, but this woman named Kay, she wanted to become an impersonator of this female starlet to the point where she actually took pills herself. To, to, to finalize the ultimate impersonation. She killed herself, overdosed herself. Well, her hair looked like the star, she dressed like the star, did things to herself, like all these impersonators do, to look like a real facsimile of the original, the genuine, 
she killed herself. These people are wholly given to something. They are addicted. Now, another illustration to emphasize to what addiction is like. There's a man that I went to see at Castle Hospital. I was called by the sister to go and see him. He had admitted himself because of drugs. She wanted me to talk to him and try to help him. And I felt like I don't want to go because I felt like I was kind of helpless to help the guy. I went anyway, and I drove from Mililani down to where I lived at the time, down to Castle Hospital. I met him in the lobby, talked to him, younger brother of this lady. Gotten over with him. And uh, shortly after that, he went to prison for overdose for drugs and all that kind of stuff. In prison, he made promises to God to reform himself. And uh, after he uh, got out, he went to halfway houses, went to drug programs. It kind of helped him, actually. The discipline helped him. The isolating himself from people helped him. And so uh, he did good for a while. He was clean for a while. But then violation of parole back into Halava. Stayed there for several years. Came out again. Another halfway house or so. Another program of two or three or four. And it seemed to do well. Actually, he did very well. So much so that he became a drug counselor. Became a drug counselor right here in town. Did that for four years. And then something happened. He got a house, lived there for not even a year, and then he got high. And then he started a fire. And he burned down the house. Later on, he overdosed again and he died. What do I learn from that sad story? I learned that when people are addicted, they're wholly given to something. Now, the idolaters were wholly given to their idolatry. They were into it. As the world says, they were full on. They weren't half-hearted. They were totally immersed in their idolatry. They were, they were all out. We called it back in the 60s, whole hog. Everything. They were committed. They weren't partially given to idolatry. They were totally given to idolatry. That was their whole life now. And when someone's addicted to something, whatever it is, you can tell, and it's almost unshakable. Well, let me give you a verse here. I want you to see this verse, please. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. On the flip side of things, here is something that you can aspire toward or be encouraged to become like. And it comes to a uh, holy given to. 1 Corinthians 16. First Corinthians 16, verse number 15. I beseech you, brethren, Paul writes to save people. I beseech you, brethren, you know the house of Stephanus, that it is the first fruits of Achaia, the first converts, the first fruits of Achaia. Watch carefully. And that they, these converts, they have, there's that word, addicted themselves. They have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. That same zeal, that same enthusiasm, the same going all out for drugs or for impersonators, the same kind that was given by these Christians toward serving saints. Now, think about that verse and just remember this. Addiction is not always bad if it's the right kind of addiction. Can you imagine 
a wife complaining because her husband is addicted to her. Can you imagine her, the wife complaining about that? I know, I know a couple uh, in another state. You don't know this couple, but I know this other couple. They've been married, uh, let's see, um, I think it's about 35, 37 years now. Married 37 years, got married in North Carolina, now living in another state. All of these years, it has come out that it's a horrible marriage after all of these years because the husband does not like his wife. Now he says, I love you. He'll ride a uh, Valentine card once in a while, buy a road, take out dinner once in a while, but he does not like his wife. And how do I know this? Because the wife, she tells her mother, I am so miserable because my husband, the way he treats me. It's one thing to say, I love you occasionally. It's another thing, how you live each day with one another. And this guy does not treat her like a wife. He treats her like she is um, uh, a friend, but not a good friend. Treats her like she is a tenant, not like a wife, like a tenant. And she is very careful to publicly um, appear to be happy because they have uh, four kids, uh, two boys and uh, three boys, two boys and two girls. And she has to go through the motions publicly because she's she's ashamed that her marriage is not good as, as good as she would like it to be because he's addicted to to something else, and that has that has affected the marriage so so badly. Addiction depends what it is. If you are addicted to things that are wrong, guys can be addicted to pornography. Guys can be addicted to many things that are wrong. Women can be addicted to a lot of things too that are wrong. In both cases, it'll affect other people because of the addiction being so strong. It comes to the place sometimes, which is tragic, that you don't care what anybody thinks anymore because your addiction has to be fed. Well, Paul was moved, and my point in all of that is to say, when he saw the heathen worshiping idols, he was so moved by what he saw, he did something about it. He just had to do something about it. There's a short video of a woman in another country, I'll say Chile or some country like that, South America, it's a very primitive scene. There's a little shop along the sidewalk, and uh, there's a girl here who just bought an ice cream from uh, the vendor on the sidewalk, and there's a car here. So, so here's the car, here's the sidewalk, here's the shop right, right here, and uh, a little girl, maybe 10 or 11, bought ice cream from the vendor, a female. And so a guy comes out of this car from the back side, comes out of his car, he opens the back door. The girl had to walk this way, Past the car to buy ice cream, right here. This guy comes out of this car, here, opens this back door. He thinks the girl's gonna walk back this way. Watch this now. A car's coming up over here, slowly, and she buys the ice cream, she walks toward this way, and this lady was smart enough and alert enough to see this guy open this back door. She thought one thing. It must be a common practice in this country. She thought one thing. When she saw the guy open that door, she took the, the, the change from the ice cream and she got behind on this side of the booth and she walked to the girl and she grabbed the girl before the guy could come to her and took it this way. The car 
They came over here, they got out of that car, they beat up the guy. They had to do something about what they saw. They couldn't just stand by and let it happen. And they called the cops. The cops arrested the guy. You know what Paul did? He saw something going on. He says, I can't just stand by and let nothing. I, I got to do something about this. He was stirred. He was stirred. Therefore, he disputed. Um, has there come times in your life when you have been stirred to do something? Have you had times in your life when you have been moved to do something because you saw something? I'm a visual person. Uh, I like art, I like to do art, I like to communicate visually. But I get sometimes stirred by what I see. Went to a football game in Castle, Friday night, middle of Lonnie. Uh, it was a close game, 66 to zero. Pretty close game. <laughs> The first three times, the middle line touched the ball, three touchdowns, 21-0 before you knew what happened, before you could blink. 21-0. Castle was outnumbered. Castle was crushed in every sense of the word. The Castle players were like this, going back to the huddle. It was a, it was a slaughter. But I see people in the stands, and they're doing what they do, you know, and I'm thinking, well, you know, uh, in the cheerleading section, the band and everything, the band members. I was watching two drummers. There were three drummers. I watched two drummers. They were just they're just playing along. I mean, as if it was just second nature. They were wholly given to the rehearsals, wholly given to practices, wholly given to. It just became so second nature. They were they could do blindfolded playing. It was very impressive actually. <coughs> and uh, the guy in charge of the band, he was really good. And uh, I mean, they, he commanded the group. When he did that, everybody stopped. When they did that, they played a certain number. When they did that, did that. When they did that, they all went down and got to do something to eat. It was so under control, very impressive. I was impressed by that. I was moved by that. I thought, why couldn't Christians be as attentive to what God says to them as this band leader was to, or them to the band leader? <coughs> oh, well, I just thought I'd pass it out, throw it off to you. They were wholly given to idolatry, but Paul says these Christians, this first generation Christians, Stephanus and Stanley, <coughs> were addicted to the ministry of the saints. Their ministry was one of hospitality. Whatever that ministry God has given to you, you should take advantage of that and go with it and be the best at what you can do with that ministry God has given to you. And be zealous about it, be addicted to it. Well, I think I'd be pleased if people today would become addicted to the right things. There are people addicted to a lot of things they should not be addicted to. How about if we flip that around and you get addicted to the things that you should be addicted to? Fair proposition. Fair proposition. So in Acts 17, verse number 16 and 17, he says, I got to do something. And he did something about that. All of that is to say, he did not believe that these people had no hope. He believed that they did have hope. You would say, you would say that Paul is not a Calvinist. He was not a hyper-Calvinist. He was one who believed in choice. In both Testaments, you'd be overcome with the references to the will, the will, the will, the ability to choose. You'd be overwhelmed by the verses about that. Whosoever will, whosoever will. And you will not come unto me that you might have life. You will not come unto me. Well, so some people said no. Well, that's their choice. Some people said yes. 
That's their choice. Though you are fallen in sin, you have a choice to make, you have a will that you can use to exercise, to choose. You choose every day. But when it comes to personal salvation, you have a choice about what you would do with Christ. Now, whatever you think about Billy Graham, Billy Graham at least emphasized, make a choice. As much as you can criticize him about his associations for crusades, one thing you can say, he gave people a choice. Come now, come now, come now. Come now. Today's the day of subject. Come now. Come now. A choice to be made. Respond to the gospel. And so, did these men change their minds? Oh, I closed my Bible. Come back to Acts 17. We're done. Acts 17. He gave the men, the heathen, a challenge. He preached to them about the living God who gave them life, that God is the very one who gives them life and existence as he preaches to them. And he says that only one, there's only one true God. Now come down to the end of the chapter, verse number 32. And when they, these idolaters, heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, yeah, and others said, we will hear thee again of this matter. There's always going to be people who will be like that. Those who mock and shut you down, and those who say, oh, I'm not sure about this, I'll hear this stuff, I'm a libertarian. <laughs> Verse number 33. So Paul departed from among them. Look at verse 34. How be it? However, certain men clave unto him and believed. And the names are given. And then it says others with them. So Paul, who was stirred to preach to them the truth about the true God, in spite of their holy given to idolatry, in spite of the idea that, oh no, this is predestined, this is fixed. They can never change. He preached them anyway, and some of them did choose to receive Christ. What does that tell you? We can choose. Though we are sinful, we can choose. Sinners can respond to the gospel, and they can be saved. And you can respond to God and do the right thing as well. Don't let anybody con you into thinking it's fixed. You'll never be anything. You'll always be a loser. Don't let people con you into that. You'll never be anything better than what you are now. You can never grow anymore in your Christian life. You'll always be a mediocre, pathetic baby Christian. You can never grow. Don't ever think that because it's not true. Everyone can grow more and more. The little kid song, I'll end this little kid song. Read your Bible, pray every day, pray every day, pray every day. Read your Bible, pray every day, and you will grow, grow, grow. It's an action song. And you grow, grow, grow. Grow, grow, grow. Read your Bible for every day and you grow, grow, grow. That's true. You will grow spiritually if you want to. If you're not addicted to the wrong things, if you start focusing on Jesus Christ more like you should, you might grow more. Amen to that. Thank you, Francis. Let's pray. Lord, we pray for your help as we try to believe the Bible and not believe false teaching. We are not predestined to be saved or not saved against our will. We are unsaved. We are born sinners, but we can change our destination by receiving Christ. We don't have to be pathetic, weak, immature baby Christians. We can grow. But we got to make some choices. We have to make some decisions. And we have to not let our flesh and the world infect us to the place where we say okay we're locked into this we're fixed this way it's not true it is not true it is true it is true that we can be saved sinners can be saved it is still true so we should be good witnesses 
because some people can be saved and we can be better Christians we can be better Christians we don't have to we don't have to be nominal lethargic lukewarm Christians we can be better Christians we can be stronger Christians Lord help us to be addicted to the right things help your people to not be content be satisfied in our in our lethargic routine our heads are bowed and the Lord spoke to your heart today and you let me the Lord know right now in your heart as he has spoken to you I, I've got to get addicted to the right things I'm addicted to the wrong things the wrong things occupy so much of my time I am not able to do some things God wants me to do because I'm occupied by the wrong things you need to deal with that you need to deal with your thinking deal with your mindset your motive in life just get some things squared away between you and your God it would be great if a couple of you here would get addicted to serving the Lord that would be really good some of you ought to some of you can you need to just drift like dead fish down the stream you need to be like that salmon that goes against the current upstream you need to be a Christian that is like Paul stirred by what you see and not so oh well that's how it is can't help that yeah they're all corrupt yeah they're all corrupt yeah they're all bad no I can't change that's just the way it goes yep that's how it is perhaps in your little circle in your life you can affect somebody else have an influence on someone else to change a matter change a situation sure possible keep praying keep living right keep being right keep following your Bible don't ever stop doing that let God take care of that stuff the results Lord bless your people challenge us we pray in Jesus name Amen, Amen.